0: What the hell am I doing? Welcome back to another episode of I Have No Idea What I'm Doing. My name is Paula Rogo and I'm your host. Last week, we talked about money and learned about the different ways that women entrepreneurs can fund their businesses. But when I created Kali Media, money was only one of the many obstacles I faced. And I attempted to launch the company a few times and failed each time. The thing is, entrepreneurship is hard. Setback after setback after setback can make you question whether or not you should stop. I ask myself why I'm doing this at least once a week. So how do you decide when it's time to press the pause button? And how do you make that tough call? Today, we have an amazing woman who recently had to face that question. Siki Chigongo is the co-founder of Amagara Cosmetics, an ethical natural skincare company in Uganda. She is also a communications professional with experience in both the commercial and development sector. After four years working as the CEO of Amagara Skincare, she decided to take a step back this year and return to the development sector. Siki, welcome to my podcast. Thank you so much, Paula. So Siki, I first spoke with you about a year ago when I was still in the early stages of starting my own company, Kali Media. So for those who are unfamiliar with your great products, what is Amagara Skincare and why did you decide to create this company?
1: Okay, so um, Amagara Skincare is Uganda's uh, first natural skincare brand. Um, and the word amagara itself is borrowed from African dialect to mean life. So we basically believe that our natural skincare range should breathe new life into our clients' skins. So basically how Amagara came about was I lived in the UK for close to 10 years and i my usual skincare routine would include natural skincare products and organic ones and then following my return to uganda i came to realize that these products were not were basically non-existent in the region and the only affordable range of skincare products that were available were always packed with synthetic ingredients cheap fillers, animal byproduct, and things that I just wasn't used to using and things that are just not healthy for an individual's skin. So um, basically I sat down with a group of friends, and we brainstormed and thought of ideas as to how to get something out in the local market that represents the natural aspect. And we kept thinking, how is it that we live in a country with so many natural Fruits and vegetables, and we have all these things that are disposable at our disposal that we just aren't using. So, after a couple of months and lab tests, Uganda's first ethical luxury skincare range was formulated and produced right here in Uganda, and that is Amagara.
0: Did you have any skincare background outside of like the personal
1: skincare that you used? None whatsoever. My background has always been in the communications field be it working either in private or public sector. Um, So the skincare element was completely foreign to me. It literally involved me sitting down with a group of friends and talking about the lack of um, natural skincare products here in Uganda. We were about four of us sat there, but two of them were scientists, biologists. And so through that is how The concept of Amagara came about, and then they would help with the formulations, which later evolved into us recruiting more specialists locally. But initially, I had no idea, no background in any sort of science or skincare formulation or anything along those lines besides. Anything any other woman would have, you know, the kind of knowledge on the most basic level.
0: And I think what I love from what you're telling me is this is fully Ugandan. Like everything about it is Ugandan. Was that intentional? Yes, it was.
1: You know, we kind of looked at what we would consider similar companies. And we kept listing them, be it Lush, be it uh, The Body Shop, all those sort of companies. And I just felt like Ugandans were getting a pretty raw deal. Because what is happening is they're taking our fruits, our vegetables, our extracts, our shea butter, taking it to the UK or wherever they decide to produce in the West, and then... Putting in all these little ingredients, shipping it back out to Uganda and selling it at exorbitant rates. So the decision to make it authentically Ugandan was a conscious one because we wanted it to be something that we could say is. Produced, formulated here—it's authentically Ugandan. Um,
0: And I'm gonna try something a little different this episode. We had an interview a year ago, so I'm gonna play some audio from our conversation a year ago because I just think there were some things you said that were just so key. And speaking of like having this Ugandan product, um, I would just love to play back what you said about how driven you were about bringing an ethical product uh, to Uganda, which really impressed me. So. to play that audio?
1: It's important to me because I feel like there's always been, there's almost a distrust when it comes to how Ugandans feel about Ugandan products, you know? Mm -hmm. They don't, they automatically assume that anything from the West is best, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, I think it's so important even to, on a grand scale, to build Uganda, to build like our economy, to build an individual's mindset, to have that belief in Uganda, Mm -hmm. to believe that there are You can have international standard products made here. Mm -hmm. It's important, you know, for the persona of Uganda. It's important for the Ugandan individual. It's important for, at least I think, young people growing up to know they can do it here, you know. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like a mindset needed to be changed. And that's why it's important to me that Amagara stands for Just that, initially, you know?
0: And Siki, I really heard the passion in your voice about like really wanting this to be homegrown and for Ugandans to see themselves and their products. Do you still feel
1: as passionately about that? I definitely do. And I think what's been so exciting to see is a government policy was passed, uh, I believe it was last year, after we spoke. And it's called BUBU. And basically what that stands for, it's an acronym, and it's for Buy Uganda, Build Uganda. So I think it's that mindset that Ugandans are beginning, and you can see it um, with the emergence of all the different local brands currently in existence, is that Ugandans are realizing that they don't need to import quality to have quality. And I think that is such a key factor for development, economic development, transformation. You know, if you want to see change, you have to be that change. And I mean that on every level possible. And with now the government's backing and the mindset shift, I think it's a great thing. And I think it was something that was so necessary. And I'm glad to see it happen. And I want to see it happen even more. And Siki,
0: so when I called you a few weeks ago, we chatted on the phone and you told me you'd stepped away as CEO. And... It took me aback because I still hear the passion in your voice, right? I still hear you talk about Uganda, talk about Amagara, uh, with that what they call founder's passion. And, you know, I really wanted to talk about your decision to step away. And I felt like it was really important to talk about it on the podcast. When did you decide that
1: you were going to step
0: away from Amagara
1: and why? So I think I came to that decision towards mid last year. And the reason for that was... To a certain level, it became too personal. So, what do I mean when I say too personal? Basically, when you start taking on the mundane tasks of the day to day operations that you know should be delegated to your employees or contractors, or you keep, you have the mentality where you say to yourself, if you want something done right, you have to do it yourself. And then you become a micromanager of sorts. So I realized that was slowly happening. And it wasn't because I didn't trust my team. I just felt I needed to be overseeing every little aspect down to the smallest detail. And then that's when I started almost thinking about getting, bringing someone else in. Another reason for that is I feel like Amagara made such great strides whilst I was there.
0: How many years has Amma been in existence? It should be five years now. So four years in, you're thinking about this.
1: Yes. And I felt like we had hit a phase where I had taken it as far as I could as an individual. And maybe the demands of the company were not my strong suit. So whether that, be, whether that was access to finance, am I the best possible person to seek alternative funding without a background in that? And I thought, maybe that's where you need a technical expert or even just realizing that this is my baby. And I look at it in the smallest of details and its transition thus far has been based on my initial ideas as to where I saw the company going. And I just thought a fresh set of eyes is a fresh set of ideas. There needs to be constant innovation and development. And then on a more personal level, I just had to ask myself, am I at my best currently? Is this all that I could do in my expertise field to Amagara? Probably not, because I'm under the age of 30. I haven't exhausted my um, my potential within my field. So even if I'm giving 100% of myself now, I haven't reached 100% of my capability. So why take a step back as the company evolves and gets this new generation of ideas in that comes with the potentially new leader, I improve myself so that if I ever do go back, I will do so with a lot more expertise and a lot more in terms of what I can contribute to the best of my ability. I think just hitting that sort of level of realization and acceptance made me comfortable enough to say, it's okay, I can I can pass the baton on. It's not a farewell. It is probably a see you later. That's so fascinating
0: to me, Siki, because when you first had that first inkling of maybe I should, like how long did it take before you actually got to, okay, I'm deciding to step away?
1: The decision didn't come overnight. It was a process of about four months of self-doubt, of you make one decision today and you retract it the next. I'm just wondering whether my reasons are valid enough. And so, I mean, it's an internal struggle and you, you hope for objectivity. But if it's something you're so invested in, as you are with Cali Media, you sometimes lose that objectivity. It's a lot of self-questioning. It's a lot of reflectiveness and reflective processes and consulting and talking to people who've gone through something similar and just asking yourself at the end of the day, if you're being blunt, are you the best you can be, and are you giving are you giving the company the best chance that it has? And that's also
0: kind of really difficult to land at because I'd l- I like to think that no one can handle Kali better than me. Um, so it must have been really difficult just to say, you know, I might not be the best for it at this particular point in time.
1: Oh yeah, it is it's very difficult. but I'll tell you what's even more difficult. it's moving on and looking back and realizing, that they're fine without
0: you. Okay, we'll get to that in a second. But one of my favorite things that we talked about last year was imposter syndrome. And I'm hearing you even talk about it now in sort of like the decision to step away, right? And for those who aren't familiar with the term, imposter syndrome is essentially when a person acts like everything is going perfect, but in reality, they're worried that they're not good enough, they're not working hard enough, that whatever, whatever, whatever isn't enough. Basically, that they're a fraud. And I can't imagine a single entrepreneur who has never felt this. I feel this every day. I feel this now, having this conversation with you, Siki. And so I'm going to play back, because um, I'd asked you if, you if you struggled with it um, last year, especially when I was sort of in those pre-stages of setting up my company. And I'd love to sort of play back uh, your answer to me.
1: Did you ever struggle with imposter syndrome? Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Because you second guess yourself so many times. Mm-hmm. My background wasn't in this. Yeah. So I was just kind of thinking to myself, Do you kind of know what you're going into? And mm-hmm. like are you sure about this? You know, you have so many moments of self doubt, but I mean if it was easy Yeah, anyone be doing the whole it. world would be doing it, yeah. right? So yeah. it's yeah. a bit of like good days, bad days, but you just hope you have more good days
0: than anything else. And Sikis, you've hinted at this already, but did imposter syndrome have an impact on the time it took for you to decide to pause, Amagara? And did you ever think as an entrepreneur, you aren't supposed to say enough is enough?
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, with any entrepreneurial journey, everyone knows the biggest thing about being an entrepreneur is the risk. So when I have these mental contemplations and I'm asking myself whether this is the right decision or it's the wrong one. I say to myself, I feel like this is the best decision so that the company can move forward. And then I, at the back of my mind, I have that question, or is it because a straightforward career path is easier than dealing with the unknown? So maybe I wasn't a fit to be an entrepreneur. It's 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 difficult. It's a lot of back and forth mentally. But at the end of the day, What I said to myself was, it's not that I'm quitting. I'm allowing for people with more technical expertise to come in. I'm allowing for myself to develop more to better the company. And leaving the volatility of it behind seems easy, and maybe, you know, you think I wasn't, I wasn't made for it. You know, some people are made for a nine to five and some people are made to hustle. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think we're all built to do what we essentially want to do. And I'm acquiring something that I did want to do and I still want to. Believing doesn't mean it's done and I've given up on it.
0: And, you know, I know I'm just sort of taking on this identity as an entrepreneur and, you know that's a whole process in itself, right? Um, and stepping away, did it affect your identity? Did you rethink what it means to be an entrepreneur as well?
1: Yes, I am. I still am. I'm just not involved in the day to day, and I feel like I lost that off my list of things that I am. You know, one of my definitive titles. Okay, I do communications. I'm a communications professional. I am an entrepreneur. I am a business data. Right. Now I question, am I? I don't know. Really Siki? You did it. It's still alive. It's still there. True, but I'm not in it. I don't know. It's a tough one. I mean, I still, I can't give you a definitive answer because I still toy with it mentally.
0: Yeah, you're still in the throes of it, of trying to figure it out. Um, Big question, um,
1: did you feel like a failure at all? Um, not a failure. Because, like you said, it's still there, it's still functioning, it's growing. Do I feel like I gave up on it? Sometimes. But I just have to remind myself it's still there, it's not going anywhere, you know? And the fact that I can say that confidently is a testament to the fact that I built something substantial enough for it to stand for itself. So, not a failure. I don't feel like a failure. I feel like I might have diverted. But I feel like that's just an evolution process. It's natural. It's something I have the ability to walk back into. I'm still, I still sit on the board. I am still a founder. I know. So ah, not a failure. I'm very proud of it. Um, A bit detached, but still my baby.
0: So let's kind of go into sort of like, okay, you've made the decision right? You've landed it within yourself. You've accepted it. Um, How did others respond to you stepping away? Um, Specifically, your co-founder, who I know is your sibling, your sister, as well as um, the other sort of key components to the company, the employees and so forth. Yeah. How did others respond to your decision to step back?
1: Um, Well, I'll start with my sister. She was very supportive, simply because... She's been in full employment throughout the duration. So she she gets it, you know, she understands um, the need for that. And she also understands the fact that you need to better yourself in order to give a better version of yourself to something. Um, The employees took it a lot harder because they felt like I was deserting them. So I think just through, you know, constant talking, letting them know the communication channels are always going to be open. I still speak to them almost every two weeks, you know, and sometimes it's about work. Sometimes it's just kind of just checking in on a more personal level. And so I think just letting them know, Granted, I'm not going to be there every single day, but I'm on hand. I am part of the team. I am with you, you know. If there are board meetings, I am probably someone who would still vouch for you because I understood the intricacies of the business that perhaps my co-founder would never have had due to not being in the day-to-day runnings. And um, I told them it's it's not an eventuality of never returning. It's just a process of trying to grow the company in the best direction that it needs to go currently. If as a leader, you feel like you've taken it as far as you can, it's okay to step away and let someone take it even further. And that's all I wanted to reiterate to them. And I think they took it well in initially, not so much, but over time and even just taking the time to ease them through the transition. So it's not like I would inform them on Monday and I'm gone by Friday. They knew months in advance, so they had the time and the laxity to do get a sort of to reach a sort of result for themselves.
0: And let's talk a little bit about that transition, right? Um, how did you hand over processes? How did you build um, processes for people to take on? And sort of, what was that transition process like for you and for the company? And any tips, I guess, you could also share for people who are sort of handing off or building a company where they need to be able to uh, have others step in when needed?
1: I guess that just comes to succession planning. So what I did when I initially knew I'd reached this sort of decision that I had was identify key people and assign them tasks during my last bit of my tenure, the tasks that I was already kind of overseeing and just easing them into it and talking them through the process. What is the process of bringing on a new client? If they're in the B2B space or the B2C? What is the process of working with the different entities? We were based in the Uganda Industrial Research Institute. We work with URA, we work with the Uganda National uh, Bureau of Standards. So what each of those relationships are and who is going to be playing that um, liaison role then there was the aspect of the social media. Should we bring on a company? Should we not? Eventually, we chose to bring on a company as the specialists we had were really not in, they were not media personnel or comms personnel that were in the, knew the process of content generation. And then even just highlighting these gaps, for example, the social media one and content generation, if you fail to identify a key focus person, a focal person, then you know that that's a gap that needs to be filled before you do leave and that sort of thing.
0: What I'm hearing is that it also forced you to audit yourself and the company and where it is before handing it over and what its needs were um, to take a step back and in a very bird's eye view, be like, what does it need? Where are the gaps? And so forth. And having seen that, I assume people Uh, stepped up to the plate um did you ever think oh i could have had them do these things a while ago
1: i mean of course um we have a really great sales and marketing guy that perhaps in hindsight now did i step on his toes a bit probably simply because um so a lot of our initial clients came through personal relationships of mine and so by um just kind of automatically I sort of took up that role very actively and then during that transition phase i think he brought in a new roster that i hadn't even thought about and i just thought did i did i cap his capability for a bit you know but i was so pleased to see it or maybe this is something that came through maybe watching me and you know taking No, I I would have no idea, but I just thought to myself, wow, you know, you would have never thought he would be able to. I think he brought in six new clients in the last month and was thoroughly impressed. And, you know, it gives you that boost of confidence and trust in the personnel that you had procured initially, because then you know they have the capacity to do exactly what you hired them to do without your presence. It's a great thing.
0: And in our conversation, I think it was like a week and a half ago, uh, you turned the question on me and asked if I felt like I could step away from Kali Media. I know I can't imagine it, but I think it's just because it's too early stages right now. And if I'm sick, the company right now doesn't move kind of thing. So we're still at that stage. Um, But then also listening to something that you said last year about sort of navigating the ups and downs. I I wanted to replay something else that you talked about last year. So let me just replay that for you.
1: The challenge of the flux of it all, you know, Mm -hmm. you can't make so many concrete plans because you don't know what the next development is going to be. You know, Mm -hmm. you don't have the security of that job stability. It's Mm -hmm. the most volatile, (laughs) the most volatile market to be in. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, there are no guarantees. Mm -hmm. I just think it's worth it. You know, like to say you've gone through that journey and made it through to the other end is is an achievement in itself.
0: And so there you were talking about, I basically was asking you, is it worth it? All the wahala and all the stress and pain. And you, and you basically said, yes, it's an achievement. Now, having been what you've been through, what is it about entrepreneurship that people don't understand or see from the other side?
1: Um, that's a good question. I think they don't see the sacrifice that comes with entrepreneurship the time the energy the you know i think i mentioned it in the last interview as well when your relationships you know in and outside of work are affected those are not things people think about or how everyone looks forward to the weekend i feel entrepreneurs don't have a weekend Every day is an opportunity. Every day is a working day. You sacrifice your relationships. You sacrifice your time. You sacrifice your energy for this hands-on relationship. And it's probably the only hands-on relationship you have during that phase with anyone. And you sacrifice that to your hands-on relationship to your trade. Those are the smaller details no one really pays attention to. Because when you refer to entrepreneurship, it's always the success story but never the journey of the success. Oh,
0: it's the journey after the success. So it looks like, oh, you know, it's seen from the purview of, well, he overcame it or they survived it.
1: Yeah, and just the ability to be a chameleon because you don't have one fixed role. You can, I think from my regular days, I was going from overseeing a production line to a meeting with a potential client in, like to do hotel supplies, to doing the paperwork at... Uh, at the Bureau of Standards to make sure all our products have the right, you know, Q marks and things like that so that they can be fit to go on sale and stand. To the, you know, you're constantly just switching it up and fitting through this loophole and trying to get through here. And it's just in a way you would never have in a regular nine to five profession. You know, you have clear job descriptions.
0: Then I guess what, what's the message for, because again, this is this is a podcast specific to women entrepreneurs. Um, what is your message uh, for those who might find it hard to make the kind of decision that you, you, you made, um, even when maybe they should? Any, any insights? I would say my advice would be
1: question yourself a lot. Be honest with yourself and learn to reflect. Think about where you've come from, where you're going, and whether you have the ability to get where you're going, doing what you're doing now. And if the answer is no, then you need to shift. It's that simple. How has your
0: life changed since you stepped away?
1: Um, I'm pretty happy about my decision. Um, I think in terms of expertise that I'm gaining, it's second to none. I'm working for a large um, NGO in Uganda. Um, a crucial aspect of Amagara was working with smallholder farmers and trying to empower them. And even just through our agriculture program, I'm seeing what these, I'm meeting these farmers face-to-face. I'm seeing what their challenges are. I'm seeing what they want to be doing and what they feel will help best them, you know, in a way that I wasn't before. And I think what that comes down to is I'm playing in a bigger space. I'm playing a bigger game right now, you know? And with that is... So many learning experiences that will affect my uh, that have affected my outlook and will do so when I play an advisory role to board members in Amagara.
0: What else have you learned about yourself, Um, especially from last year? You had to make such a tough decision, uh, probably one of the hardest ones that an entrepreneur can make. So how is Siki from last year different from the Siki I'm speaking with today?
1: I would say. The Siki from last year was very idealistic, but perhaps in a small way, like in terms of a vision. it was The vision for Magara was big. How I saw it getting there was me micromanaging, like I said earlier. And I think the Siki today still has the big picture and the big dreams, but knows it takes a team It takes someone to be the best version of themselves, and it takes time, and it's an evolutionary process. It's not a miracle overnight. So, I don't know. I hope now I'm a lot more realistic, but I'm very practical with where I see Amagara going. I think that's what's been the biggest change, uh, more practical.
0: And speaking of Amagara, um, a lot of our listeners are in um, the region Kenya, UG, U- 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 of course, Tanzania, Rwanda, and then, of course, um, um, outside the region. Where can they buy your products? Where can we access Amagara products?
1: Um, so basically, all you need to do is go into our website, which is com, and just drop an in inquiry if you want to pick up any of our products. We can ship it out to um, Kenya, Tanzania. Within Uganda, we're currently in all quality supermarkets, healthy stores, um, and we will be in ShopRite soon. And in Kenya, we're hoping to go reach out and expand through Good Life Pharmacies. We're also doing Good Life Pharmacies here in Uganda. But just drop us an email or like our Facebook page, drop us a message and we'll be happy to get it out to you.
0: Thank you so much, Siki, for speaking really openly about your experience, because I think this is such an important topic. And my biggest takeaway from this conversation is that at one point or another, we will all have to face tough decisions about the future of our companies. And whether you decide to stay or to leave or to step back, the decision is yours. There's no right or wrong answer. Thanks again, Siki Chigongo, co-founder of Amagara Skincare based in Uganda. Thank you. You can find our products at www.amagaraskincare.com. And before we end the show today, we also want to find out more about our audience. Who are you? Where do you live? Do you like podcasts? Do you want more? Head over to Kali Media's website to fill out a quick survey, and I promise it will only take a few minutes. You can find the survey at www.kali.media/podcastsurvey. That's www.kali.media/podcastsurvey. I have no idea what I'm doing is Akali Media Production. I'm your executive producer and host, Paula Rogo. Our producer is Halima Gikandi. Our production assistant is Mame Frimpong. The music for this show was created by Ejaya Joshua, a.k.a. Jopi the Chef. And we recorded this episode at the Non On Record Studio and Mojo Productions in Nairobi. You can find the I Have No Idea What I'm Doing podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. It will also be available on our Kali Media YouTube channel. You can find out more information about this episode at www.kali.media. If you like it, tell a friend. I'm your host, Paula Rogo. Until next time.